This morning we are going to consider humility of of mind. The first class we considered uh, the top uh, the subtitle exposing pride and the second class we sought to understand what humility is um, um, and then last week we considered the example of Christ as our model of humility and this morning I'd like us to uh, to look at the topic the humility of mind what is humility is to be humble. from your proper view of who God is. If you understand who you are as a sinner, you understand who God is, then you you inevitably uh, will be humble, isn't it? A humble person serves God and fellow man. A humble person sees himself as last. You see, humility is one virtue that makes the exercise of other virtue possible. Humility enables you to love others. Humility enables you to, to, to be patient with one another. Humility enables you to, to be kind, to be generous to one another. For a humble person, mercy and kindness to other people is, is natural. Because the humble person is others-oriented rather than self oriented. The humble person is always thinking of others. He is distressed with the needs of others. That is why he can exercise compassion and gentleness. Pride, pride on the other hand, makes us to see others with disdain. It makes us to think that others are not worthy of our respect, of our honor, of our service. Pride makes us to think that we are better than other people. So that a proud person will never be inclined to show mercy and kindness. Why? Because he's consumed with himself. He's consumed with his own needs. With his own sense of worthiness and importance. That is why humility of mind is very necessary, brethren. Because... We see other virtues springing forth from humility. You, you see other uh, virtues such as kindness, mercy, love, compassion. Humility of mind makes us to see that we are servant to others. We are underneath them. So that we rise to meet the needs of others. So 
So brethren, pride makes us to see that we are prominent than others. Humility calls us to lower our estimation of ourselves, to cultivate a proper view of other people. We need a sober judgment, a sober judgment of who we are that is in agreement with reality, that is in agreement with scripture. <clears throat> Let me also define humility as as lowering of oneself. The, the idea of lowering of oneself is the central idea of humility. The idea of bringing oneself down. It is the reduction of the elevation of self. Notice how God humbles himself in Psalm chapter 113 verse 5 if you can if you can turn there. Someone can read verse 5 and 6 of Psalm chapter 113. So it says in verse 4 that the Lord is above all nations and his glory above the heavens, and the God, that God is exalted on high. Let this same God condescends. He says in verse 6, he looks far down. He lowers himself to our standard so that he can meet the needs of his people. Philippians chapter 2, the passage we considered last week. from verse 1 to 11 Philippians chapter 2 so if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love any participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is God. He is equal with God. We saw last week that he chooses to lay aside the privileges 
that he had. He leaves his prerogatives of deity to take a lower position. Humility has this central idea of lowering oneself, bringing oneself down. If we define humility of mind, we will say it is a self-conscious, voluntary lowering of oneself in relationship to others and in relationship to, to God and relationship to God, sorry. A self-conscious, voluntary lowering of oneself in relationship to others and in relationship to God. God the Father, as we've seen in Psalm 113 verse 5 and 6, lowers himself. God the Son lowers himself from a place of exalted position in which they rightly belong. And they, do so, and they do so out of love and mercy and grace towards us in order to minister their blessing to others. On the other hand, we are not in the level that we ought to be. That's why we need to lower ourselves. Because we have improperly exalted ourselves. I guess you understand the opposite there. God is highly exalted. He is in his rightful position. Yet out of love and mercy and grace, he humbles himself. Man, on the other hand, has exalted himself. He's very proud. He's in a high place. In a place that it is not rightfully his. That's why he needs to lower himself. A humble person recognizes God as the one higher than themselves. If you recognize that God is above you, that you're beneath him, then you have a duty to obey him. If you recognize that other people are better than you, then you will have the duty to serve them. So that when he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, other version uh, will say, um, vain glory, empty conceit. Because what you're exalting yourself or what you're proud about is, is virtually nothing. It is empty, empty uh, conceit, empty pride. It is vain. It has nothing. And if I see myself as better than others, my position will not be one of service. And so we need to realize where we belong, where God belongs. I need to have a mindset that I am beneath others. I am beneath God. Only then can I have um, humility of mind. Brethren, the goal of your salvation is not simply to keep you from hell. The goal of your salvation is conformity to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And as we've seen, the key to cultivating this likeness, this humility, is you understanding who God is and understanding yourself. The key to cultivating humility again is looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, following his example. 
he gives um, this invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He calls on you, he calls on all of us to go to him. Because he is gentle and lowly in heart. He is humble. He is the model of humility. Thomas Watson says, Look at our humble saviour and let the bloom of pride fall. And so the passage I'd like us to consider this morning is Philippians chapter 2. And, and this passage has to do with our relationship with one another. Isn't it? How we treat one another. From the onset there in verse 1, um, if there's any comfort, any participation in the spirit, it says, verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. It says in verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This text has to do with our relationship with one another. It is the practical, ethical life of a Christian. And Paul wants Christians to humble themselves, to think others more significant than themselves. I think you should let that verse 3 sink a little bit. How often do we do things driven by selfish ambition? It's quite natural for us to do things driven by selfish ambition, isn't it? If we don't think contrary to our natural self, then every time we'll be driven by selfish ambition. And that's because we are seeking vain glory, empty conceit. And that is no glory at all, isn't it? And yet in many instances, we put ourselves first and foremost. Paul says, regard one another more important than yourself. Is, is that easy? Is that easy as a person, as a, as, a, as a Christian? Is that easy command to fulfill? No. To put your, the interest of others before yourself is a call to radical humility. Going below others. Because often than not, we want to be right. We don't want to be wronged. We want to insist on our way. We want to have the last word. Paul says, you are not to be like that. Paul says, you think of others more important than yourself. Paul is not saying you think of billionaires, the famous people, the popular people, the president of this country, 
Paul is not saying you think of those people as more significant, as more important than yourself. Paul is saying you think of everyone. And so this is a call on a horizontal level where we're putting others more important than ourselves. We're thinking of others more highly than ourselves. You see, this is contrary to who we are, isn't it? No child has ever entered this world with this attitude. No child has ever been born with this attitude. The child wakes up in the middle of the night. They think that they are hungry. But do they think that um, it's in the middle of the night, let me let, uh, let my mom and, uh, and dad have some sleep? Let me allow them have a few extra hours of rest? Then I will not. Then I will let them know that I'm angry. Does the child think that way? The child does not think that way. The child says, "You must serve me, and you must serve me now. And if you don't serve me now, I'm going to make sure that your life is what miserable. I'm going to make sure that you're not going to sleep. That's what infants do." And hardly do we outgrow that mentality, isn't it? Serve me, serve me now. Esteem me, esteem me now. Love me, love me now. Paul says, here's what you have to do as a child of God. Have a humble mind. Regard others more important than yourself. Put the agenda of others above your own. You do realize that Paul gives this directive, this command. And in verse 5, he shows us that, that, that we have an example. He says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He goes on to tell us how to do the impossible. You see, this could radically revolutionize our churches, isn't it? If we think we are superior than others, if we think that we know more, more doctrinal truth than others, we are older than others, we have more experience than others, we are richer than others, the source of all conflict, isn't it? But the one who takes up this Christ-like attitude, who believes in the depravity of man and the holiness of God and sees himself in the way God sees them, will humble themselves. And the example of Christ here is one of humility. If you need to have this mind, it is absolutely important for you to have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. And this is a supernatural thing. I'm not asking you this morning to do something that you can do it on your own. This is a supernatural thing. The mind that was in Christ is the same mind that we ought to have. The attitude that was in Christ is the same attitude we ought to have. Then he tells us of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Because he was in the form of God, his essential nature, his very character, his nature was one of God. 
in his internal essence. He did not regard to be equal with God a thing to be grasped. Even though he was God, even though he was equal with God, he did not regard that as something to take advantage of. He did not think that I should forcibly retain my, my, my deed. He did not think that I should, I, I should use my, my deity for my personal benefit. Christ Jesus considered others better than himself, isn't it? This is Jesus Christ, brethren, the very God. Yet he did not consider his deity as something to be forcibly retained. We, we, we considered last week all the privileges that he had in heaven, isn't it? What were, those, what were some of those privileges? some of those uh, privileges that he had as God prior to incarnation. This is the external manifestation of his deity. External. I'm asking, what were the things that he left in heaven when he came on earth? What were the privileges that he left his prerogatives is 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 the things that he had as deity uh, that he left in heaven his riches isn't it we saw that in heaven is god he has access to everything uh, all the riches everything that he wanted he had access to What else? Glory. Glory. The angels were praising him. The angels were praising him day and night, isn't it? Christ was glorious. He is still glorious. While in heaven, he, he was omniscient, isn't it? He knew everything all the time, isn't it? But when he came as man, he subjected himself to the will of God so that he only knew what God allowed him to know, isn't it? He left the comfort of heaven in heaven he could not get angry he could not um, get tired he could not get weary he could not get weak isn't it he left the comfort of heaven to come on earth what other privileges that, that Christ left in heaven to come in the form of God to take up 
human flesh. So we see that he did not cling to the divinity of his divine majesty. He did not ambitiously display equality with God. We are told, verse 7, he emptied himself. And the self-emptying here has to do with incarnation. He took upon human flesh. It doesn't mean that he emptied himself of deed. The idea here is he yielded himself up. He lay aside all the prerogatives of deity so that Jesus Christ in his incarnation was fully God and fully man. And so how did he empty himself? Look at verse 7. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He takes upon himself the essence, the form of a servant. How did Jesus Christ yield to the yield to the prerogatives of his deity by taking the form of a slave? He did not take upon himself the form of a king or a dictator or an emperor. Even that would be infinitely condescending. Yet, he took the form of a slave. You see, the idea of a slave in the first century is the idea that someone has been stripped of all basic human rights. And so he took upon himself the lowest form of human existence. He did not come as a king or an emperor. Even that will be it will be God infinitely condescending. But he took upon himself the lowest place. He emptied himself. The eternally self-sufficient God becomes man. He is the one who existed in the very essence of God. He empties himself. He becomes man. And not, not an ordinary man, but a slave, isn't it? The lowest person. And he does this voluntarily. And so this is not simply humility, but it's also humiliation, isn't it? And so do you have a cause to be, to be humble as a Christian? Yes, all of us here have good reason to be humble. All of us here are image bearers of God. And there's no one better than the other one, isn't it? If we see who God is, what Christ has done, it should be a reason for us to humble ourselves. Because we see our sins, we see our weaknesses, we see our limits. We see that we are finite beings. But the eternal, infinite God voluntarily chooses humility. You see... If you can't marvel at that, what else can you marvel about? Christ Jesus humbled himself. And then we are told, 
he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, the obedience described here is the obedience in which he ultimately humbled himself by the extremity of death itself. The one who is life, the one who is eternal, humbled himself to the point of death itself. The prince of life, the author of life, the source of life, the sustainer of life, becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Paul is very emphatic here. So that we can sing, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? You see, the cross stands as the symbol of love, but it's also a symbol of humility, brethren. So how in the world can you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? How can you say, I'm a servant of Christ and be filled with selfish ambition? How can you be a child of God and yet be filled with vain glory? See, Christ's humiliation should be the death blow to all our pride. His humility should be the soil of our humility. If, Christ, if God has saved you to be conformed to the image and likeness of Christ, you have the Spirit of God working in you, renewing you day by day, then you should seek to cultivate this virtue of humility. You do realize that humility, to be, to be a humble Christian, is a better reflection of Jesus Christ than performing miracles, than raising the dead than preaching the gospel. Humility is a greater miracle than all those things. And sadly, how often do we gravitate towards pride? Humility is the best reflection of Jesus Christ in us. It is the pathway of knowing God better. The Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility, in fact, brethren, strengthens relationships. You see, Paul is concerned about the relationship among brethren in the church in Philippi. And what does he exhort them to do for them to strengthen their bond, their relationship? It is to humble themselves. When Christians manifest humility, they are putting others first. They are considering others better than themselves. They understand the need of others above theirs. If that will happen in every church everywhere, then there will be unity. Humility is the demonstration of the mind of Jesus Christ in the church. And the result of Christ's humility, we are told there, is that so that every knee shall bow, isn't it? So that everyone should exalt Christ. And on that day when he shall return, he will crush the proud. The humble will be vindicated and they will be exalted. So as a child of God, we need to humble ourselves. We need to follow the example of Jesus Christ. This is very important for us as a church. This is what fosters unity. This is 
what fosters every other kind of virtue in the church. So that you can allow yourself to be wronged. Paul says to the Corinthians, will you rather not be wronged, isn't it? Will you rather not be humble? Will you rather not be right? Because there's something more important than being right, isn't it? In the context of a church, there are things more important than being right. The unity of the church is more important than being right, isn't it? Sadly, because of our pride, we love ourselves. We want others to love us. We want to be fast. We want to be applauded. Christ Jesus should be our example, should be our model. And, and the world has assimilated us to have this mindset, isn't it? That we are living for ourselves. Live for yourself. But the command here is, is let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is an impossible thing to do, isn't it? Do we wake up every morning thinking of others as more significant than, uh, than ourselves? Thinking of the needs of others more than our needs? The word let there means allow. Let this mind, the mind of Jesus Christ, the work of the Spirit working in you, allow this to manifest in your life. Allow God to work in you, to give you this humility. This humility is sacrificial. As we, as we see the example of Jesus Christ, he, he was God, he was omniscient, omnipotent, sovereign, immutable, eternal. He was equal with God. But he considered us more important, isn't it? He decided to come on earth, left the position that he enjoyed in heaven, left the very presence of God. He set aside his privileges to come here on earth. And what will the church be like today? If every member was willing to set aside his position, his preferences, his priorities for the sake of another person. Even the things that we think are rightfully ours. What will happen if we let them, we let others have, others who are more needy than us, to have the things that we think are rightfully ours? See, Jesus Christ had every right to remain in heaven and nothing will change about him, isn't it? He will still be praised by the angels. He will still remain to be God. Nothing will have changed about him. But he sacrificially gave up his prerogatives. He was selfless. He relinquished part of his attributes so that he can identify with mankind. 
to be selfless is to choose the needs of others more than your needs. He says he made himself of no reputation. He was God, yet he chooses to live among men. He lives among men, the men that he himself created. You see, he had the right to tell people what to do. He had the right to tell people to worship him. He had the right to, to, to punish sinners. Um, he had all that power, everything that he could have chosen to do, he would have done. But he willingly allowed himself to dwell among sinners, to be mocked, to be betrayed, to be abused for your sake and for my sake. Any question or comment as I conclude? That was clear from last week, isn't it? Yeah. Anything else? What are the consequences of not being humble? Disunity and strife. Yes, disunity and strife. 
consequences of not being humble? You could say God, God will humble you, isn't it? If you don't humble yourself, uh, God resists the proud, but He exalts the humble. God will humble you. Uh, what examples do we have in Scripture of men who are humble? Nebuchadnezzar, yes. And indeed, he acknowledges God, his sovereignty, after he was humbled. Paul, yes, Paul, prior to his conversion. You have the example of Pharaoh in Exodus. What are the blessings of humility? What does God promise to those who are humble? Yes, he will exalt them at his proper time. Um, You may not be vindicated here on earth, but God will ultimately lift you up, isn't it? What else? What's another blessing of humility? hears the prayers of the humble, isn't it? Uh, God helps the helpless. The helpless are the ones who are humble, isn't it? If you come to realization that you're helpless, you're needy, uh, it's because you realize that uh, you're nothing. Uh, any question or comment before I close in prayer? I also say one of the greatest blessings of humility is salvation. Yes. That's very true, isn't it? Uh, humility is needed for you to become a Christian. Uh, you must acknowledge your sin. You must acknowledge the holiness of God. You need to repent of your sins. Uh, and so humility is needed both at the time that you become a Christian and even as a Christian. Uh, because God says he gives grace to those who are humble. Uh, he lifts them up. Uh, he gives them the joy of salvation. Uh, he, he, he covers them with his presence, isn't it? Yeah. I'd like to close with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We thank you that he emptied himself taking the form of a servant. He died on the cross for us so that we can attain salvation through his finished work. Lord, we thank you for him and we pray that uh, we might follow his example, we might imitate him, we might walk in newness of life. Forgive us, Lord, for, uh, for the times that we've exalted ourselves, we've been proud, We've sought to put others down. We pray that you may help us indeed to be truly 
humble people. We thank you, Lord, and we give you praise for these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.